The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. For as little as $5 per month, you can help keep the show ad-free while also helping to fund our annual updates to our 2021 FBS team profiles. On that note, our Tier 2 Patreon supporters receive access to our daily updated depth charts, including transfer and injury news, other personnel moves, as well as individual player ratings, coach and team performance history, in-depth returning production numbers, power rankings, and point spread projections, and much more for all 130 FBS teams. Visit patreon.com slash CFBWinningEdge for more details. Welcome back, everybody. It's CFP Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I am joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFP Winning Edge. Follow him on Twitter at CFP Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, on the Twitter machine. And Nick, uh, we're moving along uh, in the offseason here, and uh, you, you got some stuff to talk about with uh, the Patreon, patreon.com slash CFP Winning Edge. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, uh, always something, I guess, uh, this time of the year, trying to wrap up three or four different projects at once. But the big one, which I, I'm really excited about, is our returning production section and our uh, FBS team profiles. So in each individual team page, we go through and we have uh, basically the individual statistics for any thing that you would want from the previous season, uh, passing yardage, rushing yardage, targets, uh, tackles, pressures, all that good stuff uh, for every team. And I've gone through as part of our, you know, annual update from one year to the next, taking away the guys who left for the NFL draft, take away the guys who are transferring, things like that. And we get a really, really in-depth returning production percentage on dozens of of different categories. And we've expanded it this year to include offensive linemen specifically. So game started uh, snaps for each offensive lineman. Uh, so it, it's been a, a uh, very long process, but by this time next week, we'll be completely done with all 130 teams with, with what I think is the most in-depth, probably the best returning production uh, database really that that exists in in uh, college football at least that I'm aware of. So uh, that is something that you know if if you're a first time listener, if if you are uh, somebody who's just looking to get their hands on uh, this type of information that goes into a lot deeper depth than you would find even from you know a guy like Bill Connolly does a great job, gives a good uh, number that that makes a lot of sense for offense, defense, and and. Uh, overall team as far as their returning production, but we break it down every single category, dozens of different categories. So uh, I think that'll be really good. Really excited to finish that up uh, early next week. And and all of our patrons will have full access to that very soon. And then also I've, I have had a couple of people reach out to me because the tier three on our uh, Patreon uh, patreon.com slash CFP winning edge tier, tier three were actually sold out of that. And that gives everybody the, the, or anybody who's in that tier, the opportunity to download our entire FBS team profile, save a copy, 
use it, you know, for their own personal use, make changes, all that good stuff. It's hundreds and hundreds of hours worth of work uh, that we, we save you on that. But I, I limit that uh, because it's kind of a, a trust thing. I mean, giving yeah. you basically my, my baby and, and uh, trusting you not to go in and, and uh, move things around that shouldn't be moved around in the, the sheet that everybody else uses. But uh, I have had some people reach out to me about Got to be in that. the circle of trust. That's right. That's right. So uh, it, it's closed for now, but I will be opening up a, a few spots probably the first week in June. So if if that is something that interests you, uh, reach out to me probably individually and we could talk a little bit because it is a little bit more, uh, you know, because tier two, we absolutely love our tier two Patreon supporters. They get the the access to view the sheet, but every, you know, the tier three actually get access to edit those sheets. And so I uh, just want to make sure, you know, we're all on the same page if, if uh, somebody's interested in doing that. So if you've reached out to me already, uh, that should be available to you sometime in, in uh, the next couple of weeks, early June at the, at the latest. Uh, but if it's something you've considered, have questions about it, or, uh, you know, just want to learn more, uh, feel free to reach out to me as well. It, just because it's sold out on the, on the site doesn't mean I can't add some more people later if, if there's interest. And uh, let me ask you this, Nick, do you like, do you hibernate for a week when you finish these sheets or uh, there's always another project (laughs) going on, of course, but uh, you got to take a break at some point, right? I mean, come on. You know, I do, I do a decent job of getting away on the weekends. I, I do try to do that in the, you know, when, when there are not games, I do try to get a, 36 hour break, something like that at least. But uh, no, when, when this is finished up and I'll release it to everybody, I'll, you know, probably crack a beer that night and, and celebrate a little uh, that way. And then the next day I've got to get uh, some coaching history stuff done that I, that I want to get done. Pretty excited about that as well. That'll be the next big project for uh, the early weeks of June. But yeah, we, we try to pack in as much, as we can before the the season kicks off. So there's, there's always something next on the list to do back to work, back to work immediately. And uh, today on the show, we're going to be talking about how we have week one spreads already out. If you thought the season was getting close, it is because we have times and dates for all the games. And we also have some point spreads here, but uh, before we dive in on that, we're also going to be talking about some transfers and stuff like that too. Um, and then, of course, we're going to have our stats segment with Nick once again. I, I was listening to the Paul Feinbaum show uh, earlier this week, and it reminded me of how terrible callers are. And I- I'll say this as far as callers go. You get like four horrific ones that are just terrible. They add nothing to the show. They stop. They don't know when to talk. They talk over the host, all that stuff. But you get one, it seems like, during every show that brings up a very valid or very, very good point to make. And on his show, uh, I, I heard a good caller, which is, you know, rare. It's like a winning lottery ticket to me. So uh, I'm so I just get annoyed by callers asking dumb questions. I'm sorry. Uh, I've listened to radio for way too long, and it feels like to me sometimes that they bog the show down. But um, uh, Xavier, I especially want your opinion here. Uh, this guy called in, he's a Florida fan. He said that he thinks that Urban Meyer bringing Tim Tebow into Jacksonville 
is him trying to get on the Gators fans good side because he is back in Florida now. And the way he left Florida is known as typically horrific. So uh, a lot of people didn't like the way he left to go to Ohio state and all that stuff. And he doesn't have a lot of love in Gainesville or Florida anymore because of it. And I thought, wow, you know, that is a great point to make. It's less about selling jerseys. Well, I'm sure that's part of it and less about getting the, a good locker room presence and more about just making yourself kind of feel loved again in the Florida area. So uh, what did you think about that? I thought that was a pretty good point. Yeah, I think that's a pretty, uh, I think that's a, uh, a really great take personally. Uh, I know for a fact, just from being around Florida fans and, and, you know, having one of my best friends actually is one of the more known Florida Twitters out there. He was ecstatic uh, to see, Tim Tebow possibly playing for the Jacksonville Jaguars and, and definitely playing under Urban Meyer again. So if, if that's any indication of, you know, how the rest of Florida fans felt um, him having one of the bigger Florida Twitters out there, I wouldn't be surprised that if, if more, if it wasn't just him that was ecstatic to see Tim Tebow once again, you know, strapping it up on a football field, playing under Urban Meyer, bringing back what a lot of people's childhoods was, especially for my generation, uh, and a lot of good memories for Florida, which haven't happened since they left, uh, since both of them left. Uh, so I, I, that's that's a really great point for, from that caller, and I think that he he did uh, either he heard that from somebody or he did his own homework. And kudos to him if that was coming from just him. Yeah, Nick, it was it was a theory that I hadn't heard before. So, you know, uh, maybe other people have said it before, but it was the first time. And I don't mean to rag on callers so much, uh, but uh, I, I typically I love listening to a radio show. And then when they have that segment with the callers, I start to get frustrated, you know, because some of them are just points that anyone can make have been talked about thoroughly. I don't know, uh, but this one was was good. Like I said, well, what do you think about this point this guy was making? Well, I've I've uh, done my best to kind of uh, avoid any uh, Tim Tebow uh, <laughs> news, really, for for uh, the last well, couple it's of weeks old or however and long. And I understand uh, that. I mean, but- people were all. Today's big news was he's wearing number 85 instead of 15. Like it, it gets absurd. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, I, I admit it's kind of interesting if, if, uh, you know, in, in Jacksonville, obviously, you know, not, not uh, coming off a, a particularly good season, right? And, and uh, trying to uh, get, People interested, local guy, you know, uh, there's obviously a connection there with uh, with Meyer and Tebow and and, you know, by most things I've heard, uh, you know, his time in minor league baseball, whatnot, young guys seem to like him, get along with him. I know there's some discussion as to whether or not, you know, an NFL locker room will will necessarily be the best place. Uh, for this sort of thing and, and that, that it could turn off uh, some some current players adding him into the mix. But I don't know. I mean, it, it, it might sell some uh, tickets. It might sell some jerseys, as you said. And, and uh, you know, who knows? It, it, it could potentially lead to him being a, a valuable member of the organization in some way. I, I am very, very skeptical it will be actually on the football field. But, yeah. you know, perhaps he'll have a uh, another role, uh, you know, 
in a few months or, or what have you. But I don't know. It's it's uh, people are talking about the Jaguars, obviously, and it's doing yeah. a little bit to uh, shelter, if that's the right word, Trevor Lawrence, keeping the the you know spotlight off of him right now, which might not be a bad thing for your number one overall pick uh, rec- rookie quarterback. So. I don't know. It, it gives some people obviously things to talk about, and and there are a lot of different, uh, uh, different different topics that sort of shoot Story off storylines from Absolutely. it. Storylines. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there's there's a lot to be excited with in Jacksonville right now. With you know the the we knew Trevor Lawrence was the first pick three years ago. You know, in this draft, we just didn't know who was going to get the 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 pick. So uh, that was interesting. Uh, Travis Etienne and James Robinson is interesting. Uh, Urban Meyer being there is very interesting. There's a lot of stuff going on in Jacksonville to talk about, but I just thought it was funny uh, from a, you know, we've heard a lot about Tebow and pretty much every caller on that show that I heard. I only listened to the, the first hour of it, but they were almost all on Tebow. So I was like, good Lord, we are beating a dead horse here. Let's move on to something else. And then the last caller brought up the best point, I thought, which is why you kind of wade through the callers uh, on shows like that. So um, I just thought it was interesting. <laughs> What's that? You don't, sit there for, you don't sit there for just fine, Bomb? Uh, no, I, I can't say that I do. <laughs> I was actually uh, li- listening. And honestly, I don't even remember if I had a chance to finish it, but Dan Wetzel was on it. He wrote Death to the BCS, and that's why I was listening to that ah. uh, to that segment because I did enjoy that book. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it's funny. The book is so old now that the very uh, – when I was reading it, the first chapter was how amazing and what a role model Joe Paterno was. That was the first chapter of it. Yikes. So uh, that's how old that book is at this point. So, um, you know. I mean, I know he rewrote the beginning and it took the Joe Paterno bit out, of course, but it was before we knew a lot of stuff. So uh, I just thought that was an interesting point that he made. And, you know, getting on the, you know, the Gators are always going to be bigger in Florida than the Jaguars. Jaguars have to go on a Tom Brady type run to take over as the football king in Florida between Florida State, Florida and Jacksonville. Jacksonville is third, you know, and I think it's a, Surprising because they're an NFL franchise and most NFL franchises are enormous and they are enormous, but you know, most people don't even think they're going to be in Jacksonville that long. Most people think they're going to end up moving to London at some point. So I did think Nick brought up a great point about shielding his, his number one quarterback. I I, I hadn't heard that yet. I think that was a great point that Nick brought up there that he could be, I mean, not, not that he did this necessarily intentionally, but it does do that. All the media attention is on focus on that and the fact that and not the fact that, you know, Trevor Lawrence got shoulder surgery on his non-throwing shoulder and all those other things that he could be talking about. Uh, so, yeah, Nick, maybe you should focus on the NFL more often. <laughs> but what is it? Uh, even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. So. <laughs> Broken clocks right twice a day, you know, all that good stuff. So, uh, well, yeah. So let's move on to uh, actual on field stuff and talk about how we have lines for these week one games, Nick. And uh, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I know you're going to talk about a game we're going to play this year as far as betting goes and, and things like that. But uh, how often do you or do you bet on games this early in the process? Because to me, betting on a game right now uh, would, you can get some of your best odds because some of these odds are going to close and get much closer, especially when people start putting their money on one side or the other, the lines are going to shift. So you can get some of your best numbers right now, but also 
you know, if a quarterback goes out for one of these teams or there's a problem with the coach and guys transfer or they have an incident and can't play in week one, whatever it is, you're 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 taking a risk right now. Uh, and it could be a good risk. It could be a bad risk. But either way, you are taking a calculated risk at this point in placing bets. So is that something you do before we get into the actual lines? Uh, I'll do it some, and it's I'm I'm not a huge uh, like futures guy. We've talked a little bit about national championship futures and a couple of the early early ones I like because I I kind of had an idea where our numbers would open as soon as we updated for the new year and you thought didn't there like were that a couple Kenny teams. I know that. <laughs> yeah, we saw that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we yeah. can get to that. That was uh, yeah, that was that was that was interesting. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's gotta be so yeah first i guess on that i i tweeted out this morning <laughs> thursday because I, I just pulled up the uh because i'm i currently cfb win edge headquarters is in new hampshire we do have sports betting in new hampshire it's through DraftKings, so that's you know i i check periodically it just happened to do uh, this morning, because I knew we were going to be talking about these lines that that FanDuel put up, and some others, uh, some other books are are uh, going to be you know having theirs later on, and wondered, hey, are they are they up at at DraftKings? And uh, this when I checked first thing this morning, they weren't, but they have they've since been put up some of them. But uh, I lo- I just happened to look at the Heisman futures, and Kenny Pickett was like sixth on the list or something. I mean, like 16 to one. And, uh, and I just tweeted out like, um, what? Because (laughs) it just doesn't. Yeah. I, 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 I tweeted before I had really, you know, had my second cup of coffee, really thought things. Who was the last Pitt Panther to even have Heisman votes? Uh, has there been somebody since Larry Fitzgerald? I mean, probably should have won it, finished second. And, uh, what, a couple well, of so it was ago. Larry, Larry, who has had a 20 year NFL career at this point, <laughs> you know, was the last guy to get Heisman votes. Well, I mean, that could be, I, I don't know, but, but that's the, that's the one that comes to the top of my mind and, and maybe I'm missing somebody, but no, I think that sounds right. Uh, but yeah, so the only people as of, you know, Thursday, May 20th this morning that, that uh, seemed to be heavier, favorites or whatever the appropriate way of phrasing it is are Spencer Rattler, DJ Uyunglele, Bryce Young, JT Daniel, Sam Howell, and De'Eric King. So Pickett would be seventh. And that's higher than, you know, Bijan Robinson, who, who I think is, you know, maybe a, a, definitely going to be a trendy pick, but a, a possible outside shot. Brees Hall, the, the top returning vote getter in Heisman uh, voting from last year. Uh, Matt Corral, who I, I did uh, take some in February or something, he was 50 to one, uh, thought it he could potentially blow up and, and uh, be a, a long shot type guy. But yeah, I, I just, after thinking about it, thought it had to be a typo that, <laughs> that it's just, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, something, something had to be wrong. And I don't usually like to go negative in, in general, and I certainly don't like to go negative about individual players. But I, I said, you know, if if uh, the only thing that I could think of 
that would make this make any sense is if we just didn't know it, but Kenny Pickett had transferred to Ohio State and Ryan Day said he's the starter no matter what. And at that point, <laughs> right. okay, then <laughs> maybe maybe yeah. then he's he's the seventh best uh, quarterback odds to to win the Heisman. But uh, yeah, somebody I somebody posted in in uh, the the ITL uh, group me room that they saw this and I was like, hey, I posted that, and the guy was like, oh, well, my buddy voted on, or uh, uh, bet on Kenny Pickett, and I was like, oh no. Don't- <laughs> Don't do that. What is he doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, and I didn't mean to derail you. You know, we were talking about placing bets on week it. one this early, but uh, that it was just kind of funny. And I looked it up, and, and this is a, I mean, I don't know if anyone has had a Heisman vote since 2012. I mean, uh, but this article in 2012 talks about how Tony Dorsett was, he won at, at Pitt. Um, so they do have a Heisman winner. Uh, but guys with votes, Larry Fitzgerald, Marshall Goldberg, Mike Ditka, Hugh Green, Dan Marino, Bill Fralick, Matt Cavanaugh, Craig Hayward, and Edgar Jones. So those are the guys from Pitt 2012 and before that had votes. I don't, no one is jumping to the forefront of my mind. I mean, I know James Conner had an enormous year there um, the year before he had cancer. Um, and then he had an enormous year when he came back from cancer as well. So uh, I don't think that he had any Heisman votes, though. So anyway, we were talking about betting on week one lines and how they are out right now. So once again, I feel like I've derailed us. We've talked about Tim Tebow and uh, you know Kenny Pickett for the first 20 minutes of the show. So my bad. <laughs> that's uh, that's all right. Uh, it, it's uh, it's May, so uh, <laughs> the yeah. So I, I don't I don't personally bet very many of these, but it's good to get sort of a baseline as to where what the market sees, where they see a particular team. If if our numbers are much different one way or the other, uh, it, it might give me a couple of teams to to look at and say, okay. Did I miss something? Is there something I'm not accounting for here? Uh, is you know, do I have the home and away thing correctly toggled in our, our schedule? So it's it's an opportunity. There might be some things you know can, can uh, get me to check up because I you know we do make mistakes. I have uh, millions of uh, pieces of data that that go in our FBS team profiles, and every once in a while something will get deleted or, or something will be, you know, the wrong formula will put in. So I do try to check those as much as possible. And this is one of those things that can help in, in certain situations. Uh, but also, you know, there are opportunities for some value because uh, the book is trying to do sort of that same thing. Uh, they are putting a line out of, of uh, dozens of games that have natural national interest uh, rivalry games, big week one games. A lot of people are just itching for college football. Can't wait to get to it. But then there are some smart people out there who've already been uh, researching teams and and have power rankings set up already. Have a good uh, feel for these teams, maybe more so than a book that is spread thin between basketball and hockey and baseball and you know all of that. So uh, they'll get together a, a group of games. Some, you know, I know the the Southgate is one that said they'll be announcing Friday morning uh, their game of the year lines. So they do a big reveal. And it's a it's an opportunity for those books to set a pretty low limit. You can't uh, bet nearly as much on, on these 
games as you would be able to during a season, but they get an opportunity to say, how are our numbers looking? If, if they say, you know, for example, LSU uh, was a three-point favorite at UCLA week one. That's one of the, the early ones, you know, posted out there. If, if everybody just starts absolutely hammering LSU for max bets, you'll see that number go to four, to five, to six, to seven by the time it, you know, that game eventually kicks off because the book will say, well, obviously, you know, we, we had a different opinion of LSU than the public. So they're, they're taking in information is, is, as I understand it, the big reason why they're putting this out there now, it's, it's an opportunity to, for them to get some feedback to check their own numbers, to kind of get the uh, the feel for what the the market, what the public, how they see a certain team. And, and there are certainly some who, uh, you know, uh, we'll talk about one, North Carolina and Virginia Tech. Our numbers have a distinct view on North Carolina that seems to be very, very different than a lot of people out there. So North Carolina, unfortunately, I think, uh, is going to be a team that we talk about week in and week out because they're they're right now going to be a team that that our numbers are probably going to look a lot different than uh you know the the Vegas point spreads or or other preseason projections and and things like that that are out there so it, it's an opportunity one if if i think that a team like north carolina we have a really good read on them uh compared to the rest of the market then absolutely we might you know be very interested in betting that North Carolina at Virginia Tech or, or later in the year, their game against Miami or whatnot. We, we might put in a max bet. And if it uh, the line moves, you know, that day or a couple of days later or whatever, uh, maybe have an opportunity to do it again if, if we still really like the number. So um, there there are some here and there, but I'm not I'm not going to load up with 10 or 12 different bets, most likely. And, and I'll admit I haven't really dug into a lot of at least the the non-week one matchups. But uh, I thought this exercise today would give us a chance to kind of a little bit of a dry run of the season where I can go through and, and maybe talk some folks into or, or, you know, talk about how our numbers set up, our three sets of uh, projected point spreads, what we look for, you know, whether it's uh, one of them that that really disagrees. There's a big gap, big edge between our number and the Vegas number, or if, you know, we want to look for if all three of our projections line up on the same side, that's been pretty good for us in the past. So it's a, it's a good opportunity for a little bit of practice, but also to talk about some actual football in, in May. So uh, we'll use every, every excuse we can get sometimes. I think <laughs> that's right. That's right. To not talk about Tim Tebow and Kenny Pickett. So uh, let's uh, let's dive in here in the first game. You know, you mentioned it, Nick is, uh, that, that you put on this list here is a North Carolina game. And there's six and a half point favorites on the road against Virginia tech to open it up. So uh, what, what do we think about this line? Is this a close line? You, you did say that it looks like we're going to be different on North Carolina. Yeah. And I, I think we've mentioned that before and I've had a couple of, you know, Twitter threads when we released our, our uh, power rankings, a lot of people, you know, early magazine rankings I've seen, a lot of uh, FPI, stuff like that, see North Carolina as a top 15 type team, a team that's not going to take a, a big step back. I personally absolutely could see that being uh, correct. You know, it makes sense that they would be a at least a co-favorite with 
Miami and in, in their side of the ACC. However, the way our numbers shake out and they're just a, you know, every year it seems there's a handful of teams where there might be a dozen places or so between our uh, preseason projection and, and where it seems that the vast majority of the college football public or, uh, you know, what have you. And, and for us, North Carolina is one of those teams. They're 27th in our power rankings right now. We, you know, look at their roster and Sam Howell obviously is a very good quarterback, uh, max 100 rated player in our individual player ranking uh, ratings. They've got a ton of experience on the offensive line. They, you know, have some talented players throughout the roster, even though their defense wasn't great last year, but yeah, our, our numbers are just going to be a bit lower on North Carolina than most people. So uh, it, it's not necessarily my opinion that, that the numbers are correct. I think maybe it's somewhere in between. Maybe North Carolina is a top 20 team right around that that 20 spot, maybe not 15 or 12 or or close to the, you know, closer to the top 10 like some people seem to think because they have a ton to replace at receiver, at running back, you know, the offensive line was okay. It, it wasn't it wasn't great, even though everybody's back. The defense has a lot of work to do. So, you know, I'm not particularly high on Virginia Tech either, but I don't necessarily agree. Right now our projection has Virginia Tech at home, by the way, on a Thursday night. So that is something to consider. We expect it's probably going to be a much different atmosphere this year than uh, Virginia Tech played at home in last year. We have Virginia Tech favored in that game. So that's a huge early edge of uh, basically we have Virginia Tech favored by about two and a half points. So if this six and a half is <clears throat> is available at, at a place like FanDuel right now, that's a big – that's nine points. We don't get that very often in uh, the course of a, a regular season. So if I were a little more confident in our North Carolina projection, but because we're so far off, uh, that that it, I'm I'm a little I'm going to be cautious with North Carolina this year. I've I've got myself in trouble in years past, and Xavier will like to point to uh, USF a few years ago. Our numbers were really high on. Uh, yes, you know, uh, Virginia <laughs> we were uh, uh, lower on when when they won the ACC, and a lot of other people saw it coming, and, and we didn't. So I, I've learned, and I'm a little more cautious. But our our official projection does have Virginia Tech actually favored. Our uh, what I call prism, our projected scoring margin, which is our, our stats only model, uh, has North Carolina favored, but not to cover the six and a half. But our talent edge model, and this is why we have three, it's a wide range. We actually have North Carolina favored by about two touchdowns if talent were the only thing that we're looking at. So we like our, and that's why I call it the official projection, we like that one the best. That's the one that our power rankings refer to and all that one does have Virginia tech favored. So that is a game. If this were the Wednesday before this game kicked off on Thursday, we would bet Virginia tech in this game. But right now I'm, I'm going to be a little cautious about it, especially because the three different models have such a wide range uh, on this particular game. Xavier, what do you think about this game? And, and I'm, I'm definitely with Nick as far as North Carolina being uh, overranked at this point. And I think it's because they do have a Heisman potential in, in Sam Howell, their quarterback. And 
you know, he's been talked about potentially being the number one pick in the NFL draft, but he right. lost his top four offensive options for Williams yeah. and Brown at, at um, or Carter, excuse me, at running back and then Brown and Newsom at wide receivers. So I'm a little surprised to see them getting uh, this much love. What do you think about this opening line against Virginia Tech on the road? Yeah, I mean, I'm not overly surprised that North Carolina is getting this much love early on when you have what many consider to be maybe one of the Heisman favorites. And, you know, to your credit, you know, one of the first at least first two quarterbacks taking off the board in next year's draft. You get that kind of weight coming with you. Uh, you know, you, you, they almost you know feel like that he can overcompensate or he can compensate for the lack of talent that he does have on the outside or at least the talent in which that left him last year. Uh like I said, and I'm not calling Sam Howell Jake Fromm, but I do think this is very akin to Jake Fromm's last year at Georgia, in which he lost all of the talent that he ended up running the table with his first two years at Georgia. And he struggled, especially in games where teams understood that he didn't trust his outside receiver help. You know, this is George Pickens' freshman year. You know, this was Demetrius Robertson's first year transferred in, things of that nature. And this is, you know, a similar situation in which Sam Howell was stepping into. And I, I I like Virginia Tech to give them a game. Uh, I I will say that I think people you know I understand that Virginia Tech also lost a lot of talent. You know, obviously guys like Caleb Farley are no longer on the team, and you know they had one of the better secondaries in college football a couple of years ago with him and, and, and others. But I do still think that this Virginia Tech team is going to give North Carolina a lot of trouble, especially Week One, They're, and not from a Sam Howell perspective, but really uh, from the receivers and from the skill positions. You know, getting thrown into a game against a Virginia Tech team that's going to be well coached, that's going to understand what their job is coming in, and is going to make sure that you know they're going to switch up the coverages. They're going to make these young receivers, you know, you know, uh, beat them in press man. They're going to make sure that these guys have to show them that they're better than them, and they're not just going to let Sam Howell take the easy throws, maybe that he would have gotten in the past with some more, uh, with some more talented people on the outside and behind him. Nick brings up a great point. North Carolina's defense was not one to be excited about last year, and they have strides that they have to make in this first game uh, and so there's a lot more question marks about this team that I think people are giving credit for uh, I think people are really I, and genuinely I think people are looking at Sam Howell and going he makes up for all the different holes that are on this team and I think they're oh and I think that's a too much of a reach here um, so you know I, I I would take Virginia Tech here if I'm perfectly honest with you if I was a betting man I absolutely would uh, to cover because I personally think that North Carolina is this a, is this a, a, a good enough game to bet this early on in your opinion, I would. It's an early. Yes. It, you don't have to say yes uh, because it's it's early. I know? would. At least for the next yeah, 10 I mean, or 15 minutes, you don't have to say yes. But you just sound you just sound very confident. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> Oh, I am because I I do genuinely believe that the North Carolina hype is more hype than it is actually North Carolina being, you know as good as they were last year. I, I don't think that they are. And even though Sam Howell was in year three, which is where you expect the, the you know a quarterback to hit its peak or their peak, per uh, se, I don't think that his team around him is nearly as talented as the one that they've had in the past couple of years. So yeah. I will I will say, and, and I am not an expert in, in any of this. I do bet mm -hmm. games. It's, it's what I do to sort of keep score uh, with, you know, our, our projections and, and things like that. And it's, you know, it's fun for me. I, I, I do like to do it. Uh, but I'm fully self-taught. I am not, you know, up on all the lingo. I don't know all the hard, fast rules and, and all of that. So 
all those caveats, put those out there. But uh, my sort of thought on it is, Xavier, if you think this is a game that, yeah, there's there's an edge here. Virginia Tech is, is within a touchdown of North Carolina for sure, maybe mm-hmm. has a chance to win outright. You know, do you kind of have to, in my opinion, you can think about it a couple of ways. One, I can okay. take that that edge now and bet it and, and you know, lock in that number, kind of put, see that as an event, you know, investment uh, over the next few weeks. And, and then uh, we're in a good spot because we got what we felt was a good number on it. Or do you think that everybody else out there, or, or at least the vast majority are going to be on the side of North Carolina and saying, Hey, this is a, this is a top 10 team. And yeah, they're going to Virginia tech, but Virginia techs, you know, on the fence, whether they're going to fire their coach, their offensive line, have so many guys transfer out. We don't know who the running back's going to be. You know, the quarterbacks have transferred out. Is Braxton Burmeister the guy? You know, no way North Carolina's uh, going to keep this within a touchdown. They're going to blow them out, beat them, you know, by, by uh, two touchdowns at least. So if, if you think that's what's going to happen, well, maybe there's still a little value to be had. Maybe by the time this game actually kicks off, it'll be closer to a 10-point spread. And at that point, then we've locked in more value by waiting. And uh, also, <laughs> we don't have to lock up our money for the next however many months. You know, we, we could do something else. You don't leave yourself that. vulnerable to a suspension or an injury, injury or any of that stuff, too. Sure, sure. Yes, so understood. it's, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different things to think about, but, but sort of my, my thought process on the one hand, because yeah, if, if, if like I said, if this were Thursday or, or Wednesday, we're recording the show and this game was going to kick off the next day or, or the next night, I absolutely would be betting Virginia Tech because there's such a big uh, difference in what our numbers say and, and what the uh, point spread is. But you know, right as I sit right now, I'm kind of thinking maybe that number is going to grow a little bit from from six and a half up to uh, seven, eight, nine, ten, maybe by the time it kicks off. So at that point, then I absolutely would would uh, hammer Virginia Tech. So yeah, I don't know. Just a, just a couple of other things to go go through my mind at least. I don't know if anybody else is is thinking the same way or not. It, no, it's I agree. Issue. Go ahead. No, go I, ahead. Sorry. No, I, I 100% agree. You know, if because I do think that's exactly what's going to happen. I think people are going to see this line and think very early on that they can, you know, be able to bet on North Carolina to just kind of wipe the floor with Virginia Tech, you know. And, and you're, I think even to you know the non-betters who just see this as a top ten team versus an unranked team, a game a, or you know a game this close is going to be something that they take week one as a possible opportunity to bet. So I think you're right, Nick. I think this could be anywhere from you know a ten to you know to you know this could be a jump of three or four points where we do see it now be ten you know, nine and a half to 10 and a half points uh, as the favorites for them. And then that would be much more advantageous to bet on that than it would be to bet now. So I do agree with you on that point. All right. So the next game up here is LSU is a three point road favorite at UCLA. This is an interesting one. LSU coming off an ugly season with horrific quarterback play, but you know, just seeing, knowing what LSU puts out on the field every single year UCLA doesn't really seem like a problem, especially the way UCLA has played recently. So I think this is a number that people are going to look and go, why is LSU only favored by three, Nick? Mm-hmm. Are, are you with me on that? Uh, and uh, which side would you pick here? 
So I, I agree that a lot of people are, are probably looking at it that way, even though people know LSU took a, a huge, huge step back last season. And I've, I've seen some chatter from other you know folks out there on, on uh, Twitter, other, other shows and things like that have, have kind of circled this as the biggest public, uh, you know, they guess this will be the, the biggest uh, public play basically of, of these early lines where people will say, absolutely, LSU you know, LSU all day, let's go. But I disagree. I think people might have, you know, missed that UCLA improved a lot last year and brings a lot back. And everybody brings a lot back. But, you know, a lot more than LSU in this particular game. It's at home. You know, LSU's got two new coordinators again. So uh, the way our, our numbers line up is actually very, very similar to – uh, the previous game. We actually have UCLA favored to win it outright. Uh, LSU does have a big talent edge, so it swings it in the other direction. And then the stats only uh, model actually still has LSU favored, but less than the point spread. So it lines up almost exactly the same as, as the previous game. But this is one I think I would be a little bit more... Uh, no, actually, I wouldn't really change my thought process. I'd, I'd probably think I, I agree with with some of the other folks out there who've who've mentioned LSU is is going to be bet on a lot here this number probably will increase closer to a touchdown you know maybe maybe uh, maybe it doesn't quite get there maybe uh, the the uh, folks who paid a little bit more attention to UCLA's improvement might keep it keep it closer I'm not sure but uh, I, I I feel a little more confident in this one betting UCLA, but I probably will still wait. Not that interested because I do think this number would, would increase a little bit uh, over the next couple of months. Xavier, what do you think of this one? Is it is it closer or are you uh, with the public and thinking, nah, this is probably an easy one for LSU? Yeah, I'm thinking I'm more along the side of the public. I think this is more of an easy one. Um, now, I will say, and I think that this is to be said, I think we're betting a lot on what we are typically known to be a more talented LSU team. Uh, but like Nick said, this LSU team struggled, especially on the defensive end and especially against the pass, which is something that UCLA is going to want to do uh, with, with Dorian Thompson Robinson as their quarterback, obviously, and company. But I just am more uh, more confident, and maybe it's blind confidence, maybe it's my SEC bias that LSU will go ahead and get the job done. You know, week one against a UCLA team that I don't think that, that I don't think any of us have competing for the Pac-12 whatsoever. Uh, so I, I would take this bet for LSU, and I would honestly take it before anybody before the, the bets really start flooding in because I do think it's going to be one of those where people go really hard on LSU. Um, but if you can get in earlier, I believe it. Correct me if I'm wrong, Scott. The earlier you get in, the better on a bet like this. Yes or no? Uh, well, I, I would say if you're that confident, then yes. And I, I would also say that uh, LSU is one of those teams where, you know, I, I think this is an easier bet because I don't think one player getting hurt, suspended, whatever it may be, swings the entire bet. I think if you're looking at this, you're looking at overall roster. They don't have a solidified trenched quarterback at LSU. So they're probably going to be fighting for it anyway. So I think sure. this is one of the better ones. If you think that this is not a close game, this is a walk The I, t I tell you what, for me, the, the reason why I would stay away from this one is because LSU has had an insane amount of turmoil in the last year 
on that campus and specifically with Ed Orgeron. So uh, I, I could see another shoe dropping there and then, you know, not firing Orgeron, but maybe suspending him for a certain amount of time. It has been ugly. The stuff that has been uh, uh, drug up at LSU, which is, I mean, you need to bring light to it for sure. I'm not saying that we shouldn't bring light to it uh, for this, you know, the stupid coaches. Who cares? That stuff should be talked about. But uh, I mean, it's not, it's not a good look for LSU. So that off-field stuff would keep me away from this because of the potential to, uh, you know, I think if something was done, it probably would have been done now, but. More stuff comes up, and there's just no way you can have Ed Orgeron coaching that team. So uh, I, w- I would stay away from that bet be- because of weird off-field stuff. In general, I don't like taking bets this far out, though. But Fair. once again, to your point, Xavier, if you are going to bet one, this is one that doesn't seem to hinge on one player. So this is the right. bet. I would make this one before I'd make a North Carolina-Virginia Tech bet. I would say that. Fair. Well, um, and if, if you were – the the way it sounded like you were thinking about the game, you think that you might agree with what I said. Where by the time this game kicks off, maybe LSU's a six point favorite. Yeah. At that at that case, if you think that is what's likely to happen, then yeah, you want to bet this because right. You 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 know would lose that value uh, of you know letting those potential three points or whatever it is get away. You do take on some risk, obviously, with with some. Uh, outside factors, but uh, th- that's an opportunity where, you know, pretty much in, in general, if you think the market is going to move in, in one direction, and if it does, you lose value as a result, then bet now is right. sort of my, and, yeah. And, and like you said, Nick, that is a, you know, that is a Monday and Sunday bet thing too, for when the, the lines come out for the following week. If you think it's bigger then than it is now because you know the line's going to move now. Like you can bet it all you want. If you think this is the best line, absolutely take it. But it's going to move. All the lines are going to move by the time, uh, you know, we we get to kickoff because they're two and a half months away. So uh, it's still it's still going to be a little bit. Is that all, uh, man? I've got so much to do. It was really like I think it's closer to three months, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. I feel better saying two and a half months. Don't so scare, I know don't scare Nick like that. So, <laughs> get everybody but, else excited, but yeah, yeah, I get, yeah. I get you a little start nervous. sweating, get flop sweats, right? Uh, I get that too. Uh, Bama is a 17 and a half point favorite against Miami. Where's this one getting played, Nick? This is in Atlanta, isn't it? Is yes. okay, that's what I thought. I yes. just wasn't sure. So, uh, and I know oh, it's yeah. a versus, it's not an at. So, uh, I mean. I think this one, Nick, is going to be in the same range of the LSU game where people are going to say, well, Bama is just coming off one of the most dominant seasons ever. Sure, they lose their uh, you know, top two wideouts, they lose their quarterback, and, and they lose four offensive linemen, but they always replace everything at Bama. So 17 and a half points, you know, I think a lot of people are going to look at this and roll their eyes and go, they won the national title by 30 points or whatever it was, so why wouldn't they beat Miami week one by 17 and a half? doesn't really matter that it's a neutral site. Uh, I think they should smack them. So I think this one's going to be bet pretty heavily too. And I think this uh, line is going to get wider as we get close to the season. Do you agree with me on that one? Um, I, I agree that probably a lot of folks will be, you know, think this isn't enough that, that Alabama should be favored by closer to three touchdowns, how much it will move. I don't, I don't know, because that does, 
you know, already a big line, three scores. And, and yeah. Miami is a talented team. They certainly have questions. I mean, we don't know if De'Ara King's going to be fully healthy. That's, that's of course the biggest one. They have to replace uh, some really talented pass rushers as well. Alabama has a history of, of, blowing people out early in, in these types of games. So unfortunately, I, I know what our numbers are going to say. I, I know what they do say, and, and they're not <laughs> going to change much. I knew what they were going to say before I even saw the line <laughs> uh, because we're, we're higher on Miami. We, we think Miami is, is basically what a lot of people think North Carolina is. We think Miami is a fringe top 10 type team if De'Eric King is, is uh, as good as he can possibly be. Uh, so I know we're just not going to get anywhere close to 17 and a half points. We've got Alabama ba- uh, favored by 13 and a half officially the talent edge still double digits, but Miami, you know, able to hang in there a little bit. Uh, so it's a, a 10 point, uh, Alabama's favored by 10 in our talent edge projections and then stats only our, our prism model. Uh, it's a lot closer to a touchdown. Alabama favored by eight and a half. So this is a game where all three of our projection models, line up last year those were really really good for us overall they were pretty bad most of the time when alabama was involved though so we we struggled a little bit last year we struggled a little bit in 2019 with lsu of gauging exactly how good those teams were uh and so we were i think one in seven actually i think we we were lucky to get Notre Dame. So I think we were two and seven uh, when Alabama, we had the underdog, you know, within the point spread and in all three of our uh, projection systems last year. So we took our lumps with Alabama and we're in a position to do it again, but we were, we were, I'll find the official number, but we were right at, I think 60% uh, when, when all three of those lined up. So if, you know, if we threw Alabama out of the mix, uh, it was, of course, even better. But so we this is a game we would bet. I I think it's possible that it gets, you know, a little closer to 20 by time it kicks off. So I might hesitate to, you know, actually bet it right now. But but in all honesty, this is this is our on paper, our best bet at this point. So this is probably one that I should go ahead and, and fire away on. What do you think, Xavier? This is uh, it's a big line. Uh, but Bama has been known to lay the wood to some of these teams, especially non-SEC schools. Yeah, if I learned anything from when Alabama played, I believe it was number two Florida State in a similar situation, uh, bet on Alabama and bet big because uh, they tend to dismantle these ACC teams, especially a team in Miami that we've said one thing pretty consistently for the last year or two, last year to two, and it's that their offensive line is subpar. And you do not want to play, have a subpar offensive line with these Alabama rushers. You know, I've talked about it in previous episodes, uh, how I feel like this year's Alabama uh, rushers are going to be amazing. And they're gonna, they're gonna, there's going to be a couple of double-digit sack guys, it may, you know, on this off, on this defensive front for Alabama. Uh, I think this, you know, and, and so for me, this is going to be a very, very tough test for Miami. I just don't see how they're able to cover. Uh, we don't know if Derek King is, you know, a, is going to be a purely 100% up until this point, I don't really think it matters. I'll be perfectly honest with you, uh, you know, whether he's 100 percent or not, because he's going to be running for his life in this game. Uh, because, you know, and, and, you know, yes, there are questions to be had about Alabama offensively. But when your defense is that good, it's going to put the, it's going to put the offense in almost, you know, 
unlosable situations when you're able to get the ball on your side of the 50, which I think is going to happen several times in this ballgame. So I got Alabama to cover this. Uh, I think it's going to be a 24 to 27 point win for them. You know, just to be frank about it, I had to give a number, uh, you know, and uh, but, you know, I would take this right away because I don't think that Miami has the, the, the talent to cover or even stay close to Alabama throughout this game. Yeah, I think a big factor in this game is going to be is Derek King healthy enough to play? Yep. Of course. So, uh, I, I think I think I would wait for that. Um, I, I think I more wait. so will he be healthy enough to be dangerous? Because I right. think it, yeah. it sounds like he's on track that he'll be. I, I think he's already, you know, throwing with receivers and, and stuff like that. If uh, if if I'm remembering correctly, but, yeah, he is. But I will he be that, so. full speed, ready to go? Because you know, to, for them to have any shot, he has to be, you know, the Thierry King of what 2018, basically. Yes. So that's, <laughs> that's been a while. So, uh, uh. but I, I like Xavier brought up the defense because Alabama's defense, you know, wasn't spectacular last year. I mean, they were 12th in our team performance uh, ratings defensively, and and you know, uh, what the the that's really the worst that we have on, on record still a, a good unit, but I think that this is the best defense in college football. I, all our numbers think that. And and I think just my eyes as well, this Alabama defense could be so good. I mean, there's, if, if there's any chance that we could see a, you know, 2017, 2015 type Alabama defense again, this might, this might be it. And I know they've changed their style of play offensively. So it's, it's more difficult to put up those dominant numbers defensively when you're scoring touchdowns every, you know, three plays. But uh, if, if it could have, you know, if, if there's going to be a year, it could be this year and maybe it's just wishful thinking, but maybe that keeps the scores just a little, you know, a little lower scoring, a little slower pace, maybe. I don't know. Definitely really? could. Yeah. They might just, I mean, or yeah, they I don't could think just so at all. ton of turnovers and score even more points because their defense is scoring touchdowns. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Javier's not having it. He's just not having it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've, 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 too many times I've watched Alabama come into, you know what's funny? The most impressive ACC school I've ever seen play Alabama week one of the season was Duke. That should tell you. <laughs> I should tell you. And I think Alabama still Alabama won that game covered like 38. That game. Yeah, I think they still won 38 to yeah. 3 or 38 to 10. That, that game was so, close at halftime. Yeah, yeah. it was a complete roll. Yeah, yeah. And, and Duke was more impressive than, you know, the number two Florida State team from like, what is that, 2015? So, yeah, right. I'm, I'm going to take Bama here. It's a new yeah. season, though. Uh, well, the next game here is uh, it's a new era for Clemson football, the post Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne uh, era. And uh, Clemson is a three point favorite against Georgia. This one's at a neutral site as well, right? This one, it's in Charlotte. Yeah. In Charlotte. Yeah. Uh, so, so this one's in Charlotte, Nick, what, what do you think about this? We got DJ, uh, you, I'm not going to try it. So you, you can do it. You're probably better than me at this point. Uh, but I want to listen to some announcements a couple more times before I dive in. But uh, I always butcher his name, so I apologize. Uh, but DJ is going to be the new quarterback at Clemson, uh, Georgia. We're going to get a full offseason of JT Daniels and see if this is going to work. I mean, he can go anywhere from – being a Heisman contender to losing his job at this point, it feels like. But uh, the, I, this one I would stay away from because there's too much unknown to me. 
So I don't think I would mess with this game at all. What do our numbers say? And is this something that you're interested in betting early, Nick? Uh, this, I, I probably won't bet this one. And, and uh, part of it is I, I think that um, our numbers are, are a little bit over the place, you know, all over the place. Our, our official projection has it as basically a coin flip. So we do have Georgia slightly favored, but it's by less than half a point. So normally, again, on a game week, you know, if we think the wrong team is favored, that is basically an automatic bet for us. But uh, the the talent edge model has Georgia favored by closer to a touchdown. We think that Clemson's going to see some drop off and, and that talent, you know, is adjusted for experience and, and production uh, in our individual uh, player ratings. But it's also a lot of raw talent as well. And Clemson, you know, just hasn't quite been uh, from a raw talent standpoint recruiting at the elite, you know, top two level that, that uh, Georgia has in, in the past few years. So uh, Georgia has been able to open up a little bit of a gap there just, you know, on paper uh, as far as talent goes, but then the, the stats only model really loves Clemson loves Clemson uh, has them favored by close to a touchdown. So pretty wide range. The numbers don't agree on, on any of them. This is one I think I'm just uh, really excited to watch probably more than any game uh, of this early early slate uh, week one, but I do have an interest. It, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens on the Sunday or the Monday after this game, because I've mentioned before, Georgia. I'm I'm more highly invested in Georgia futures than anything else right now, and got some some good numbers on Georgia in, in February. That uh, you know before the Pickens injury, uh, some other things, you know, not feeling as good about it as I did then. But um, if Georgia wins this game, I will be very interested to see what Clemson's national championship futures become because they will be heavy, heavy favorites, possibly double digits in every regular season game, maybe even the ACC championship game still think that they're going to go to the playoffs. So if Georgia wins this game by two touchdowns or something like that, will Clemson's national title odds get knocked down at all? Will they get knocked down enough to where they become a kind of a, a valuable uh, ad there where it's somebody that, you know, uh, you get a better price on Clemson after they lose to Georgia than you do today. You know, if Georgia loses this game, I'm already invested in Georgia. Would I, double down kind of the same thing and say, Hey, they're going to, they're going to roll through the sec East and have a shot to beat Alabama. And then if they get back to the playoff, they're, you know, going to be one of the, the uh, on par, if not the most talented team there. So it's going to be interesting to me, not, not just the game itself, which I think I'm going to sit back and enjoy uh, just for, for what it is, but also kind of after it, it happens, be thinking about the, the national championship future and see if there might be some added value on the loser of this game. What do you think Xavier? Uh, are, are you, are you in on betting this game or is there just too much up in the air for it? Keep me very, very, very far away from this game. Uh, hmm. I, I would not touch this game with a 10 foot pole. Uh, I think that there's too many question marks here um, for the Clemson side. You know, what does DJ Uyangalale look like with, you know, his younger receivers, 
and, and what does he look like without, you know, with the absence of, you know, the, is Justin Ross playing? Do we know his status as of right now? That holds a lot of weight for me because that'd be the most senior leader receiver in the receiving core. Uh, who's the starting running back coming into that game? Uh, and, you know, how good have they looked in fall practice? That's huge for me. Uh, you know, last time me and Nick talked, you know, went back and forth a little bit on, on the front four for Clemson. You know, you know, Brian Breezy and company, do they make the next step? or And do they take the next step? And are they, you know, this is probably the best test that they're going to have, you know, pretty much all year. Uh, from a talent perspective, you know, so are they able to take the next step in their very, and, and, you know, what's, you know, in a massive game for them that does have national championship implications if they were to somehow slip up somewhere else in the season uh, on the Georgia side, can JT Daniels, you know, is the Georgia receiving core healthy? Cause I know a lot of people talk about George Pickens, but uh, you know, Jermaine Burton didn't play in the, in the um, spring game either. He was a massive part of last year's receiving core as well. Uh, he's thought to be back, but will he be 100%, you know, um, from the Georgia secondary? You know, we talk about how young the, the the Clemson wide receiving core is. That Georgia secondary is just as young and is losing some elder pieces, as we'll talk about in the transfer portal later. So it's one of those situations where there's just way too many questions for me. You know, the, the only part of the field I think we can both, you know, find solace in is the punters because they're the, like they've mm -hmm. been there for both forever so i think that's the only like okay guaranteed you know if there's like a prop bet out there that both of them are going to be able to you know knock a couple of inside the 20 take it because these are some of the best punters in college football that's the only thing we can actually take from this game other than that stay far far away from this bet yeah yeah th this is one where i just wouldn't be willing to touch it at all yet uh this one is interesting too because I feel like a lot of people are going to have Florida State improving a ton. And wow. uh, they're going to be hosting Notre Dame. And Notre Dame is a nine-point favorite on the road against FSU, Nick. Uh, how, do, how do our numbers have this game? And what are you looking forward to the most here? Before I get to that real quick, you give me grief from time to time talking about kickers. Xavier just brought up. <laughs> Hunters, okay. By the way, in my so, defense, we don't have defense, to. I, I get it. I, I get. I, I know what went to high school about. with me. So in my defense, it's a callback to high school. Anyways, I know continue. what you're talking about. I, you I know, th this this was my thought team. process, Nick. Right when he said it, was I am going to talk about how the Steelers just drafted a punter. They drafted uh, Harvin, the kid out of uh, Georgia Tech, the 900 pound punter. So. Uh, yeah, which yeah, he can ball. throw too. You're yeah, <laughs> he, he can absolutely throw. So uh, he's going to be interesting. But then I thought, should I extend this punter conversation at all whatsoever? <laughs> and I did it. I did. And, and and I said no. But I'm glad that you brought it up so I could talk about the Steelers draft. <laughs> so, uh, Thanks, but but that was see, I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna touch the punters, so I was gonna move <laughs> right over it. But uh, uh, look, if there's a punter prop, you. Xavier, tell me the book where you can find it. That's what I want to know. So tell me where the punter props are because uh, we'll, we'll be we'll talk way more about punters and kickers. We can get some props. That that's for sure. But uh, well, what do you think about this uh, Notre Dame, a nine point favorite on the road against FSU to open it up, Nick? So you you mentioned that a lot of people you think will be expecting Florida State to make a lot of improvement. I do think they'll be improved. One thing I noticed, I, I did check the lines. I mentioned some of them have been posted at, at DraftKings now, at least these week one uh, games. And DraftKings had it when I checked uh, a couple of hours after uh, I, I wrote these numbers down from FanDuel. And it's Notre Dame 
favored by eight. So either Already the line has yeah. moved or it's, you know, uh, the, the one book thinks that uh, there's a little more, you Google know, to, to like yeah. about Florida State. So that is that is interesting because at nine, two of our three projection models are, are very, very close to that and would, you know, within percentage points, once we factor in home field advantage, would lean toward Florida State. However, at eight, all three of our numbers actually line up on the Notre Dame side. So uh, in our team profiles right now, our official projected point spreads, the top top schedule there uh, in the middle of the page, those do account for home field advantage. The talent edge and, and the uh, stats only model right now don't. I need to go back and, and do do that. So if you're mentally adjusting, if you're looking through those and, and uh, you'll need to add the two and a half points that we use for home field advantage uh, on the, the talent edge model and the, uh, and the, the prism model. So the, you know, again, if it were a game week, it would line up with all three, even if it's percentage points, we do take special uh, note of that. And we're probably going to bet it. So if we were, you know, if it, if it were at eight, we're on Notre Dame and, and not that, that our numbers love Notre Dame. They're ranked 19th in our power rankings, which is probably a little lower than they'll be in, you know, the AP poll or, or some other things I've seen have them in the top 15 uh, for the most part, but our numbers right now, at least do not like Florida state and, you know, their, their raw talent profile traditionally is pretty good. I mean, a lot of top 25 classes uh, prior to the last three years, a lot of top 10 classes. But, you know, right now, Florida State is 62nd in our uh, power rankings. They ranked 110th in team performance over the last three years, our weighted team performance average. They ranked 99th over the last five years. The weighted team performance is 85th. So we think they will improve into a you know, top 60-ish type team. But right now, they, they have a lot to, to uh, do to catch up to Notre Dame, at least the way our numbers are, are looking at it. And they have, you know, upgraded some spots in the transfer portal. They are experienced in some spots that have been a weak, you know, position in the past, offensive line. A guy we'll talk about who's in the transfer portal, uh, Marshall's, uh, uh, oh gosh, what's his name, Kane Madden. 92 rated player according to our uh, our individual player ratings and and Florida State you know a lot of Florida State players are tweeting at him hey come here come here so you get a player like that in maybe solidify some things I, I could certainly see our numbers warming up a little more on on Florida State but as they stand right now you know unless this uh, number we feel is going to move away from us to, to where Notre Dame would be closer to a double digit point favorite, which probably, as you said, isn't, isn't the most likely route. Uh, we, we would want this number at eight on Notre Dame, but at nine, we, we probably wouldn't be as interested. Yeah, this is a game, Xavier. I wouldn't be interested in betting just because this is the game that's going to set the tone for the rest of the year for these teams. And I want to watch it. I think I want to, I, I, this is a game I want to see before I take a bet on for either of these teams on either side. These are also two teams I wouldn't be betting on as far as season long props go uh, to start the year. So 
What are your thoughts in this game? And are you with me on that as far as this is more of a tone setter than a game that I think uh, should be bet on immediately? Oh, absolutely. I think this is a game that, you know, when we when you look at both teams, both teams have so many question marks as far as what they're going to look like. You know, Notre Dame is replacing it's, you know, three to four years, I think four year starter in Ian Book who, you know, took the team to the playoff, I think twice in his time there. And, and you've got Florida State with a brand new tenure. And I'm going to be perfectly honest with you guys. I watched their spring game. I was not impressed. It, it was it was a rough watch. I'll be, I'll be perfectly honest with you. Uh, the, the, this is probably the smallest Florida State team I've seen in my lifetime. I don't know if that's a good thing. I, I don't know if this is a part of Mike Norvell's system that he has going on there. But they they looked – they did not look like the, the behemoths that Florida State typically brings in. That I think is a great point. And I'm, I'm falling behind a little bit. I've mentioned before the athletics uh, state of the program series. I, I really love Florida state is one of the ones that I, I read. It was posted a few weeks ago now, but there was an anonymous coach. You know, they, they always have that section of it who said that Jermaine Johnson, the transfer from uh, was the Georgia, player. Yeah, right. And, and he, he went from player. a guy who wasn't guaranteed playing time. I mean, he, he started at Georgia, but he had to share a lot of snaps and he immediately became the most dangerous <laughs> defensive player on the Florida state roster. And that, you know, shows that, that they're just not, they're just not that talented anymore. So I, that, that I think is a, a great point you made. Yeah. And, and even with all that being said, I'm not confident to having Notre Dame by nine. Uh, if this was by three, I would absolutely take that and run with it. I think Notre Dame can cover and can win this game. Uh, I just think there's too many question marks for Florida State. You know, I think their rely, you know, their reliance on Mackenzie Milton turning back the hands of time it scares me. Uh, you know, we we have yet to see him play in a very long time. Uh, but you know, so I would stay very far away from this bet, to be honest. And, and the last one we're going to dive on, uh, dive deep on here. Uh, Ole Miss is a seven-point favorite against Louisville. Another uh, neutral site game, Nick. Uh, what do we think about Ole Miss? I mean, Matt Corral getting a lot of Heisman buzz right now, which surprised me a little bit. But uh, uh, Ole Miss, a seven-point favorite to start against Louisville. I think that might be might be a little bit low. It's Ole Miss. Ole Miss is going to be a team I'm very interested in, and it's kind of funny because at least the way our numbers are looking at them right now, they're basically the exact same team as North Carolina, but because <laughs> things are moving in a positive direction for us, they were, you know, in the forties, most of last year in our power rankings, and they're now up to 28. You know, I, I feel a little more excited about Ole Miss, you know, how good can they be? And because North Carolina was, you know, top 10, top 15, and now is down all the way at 27, it feels I'm, I'm, you know, souring on them a little bit, but uh, they're very, very similar. Great quarterback, uh, talent, you know, but unproven receiving core, bad defense last year, but experienced. They're basically the same team, but, you know, uh, I, I just have a little bit of a different feel about Ole Miss. I think they're going to pull off a big upset. They're going to ruin somebody's season. It's, Probably not going to be Alabama, though. I know some people kind of, you know, circle Ole Miss as, hey, they, you know, they could really give out. Maybe they're the ones that uh, do it again or, or whatever. But they're just trying you know, to find somebody. Sure. I think they knock, you know, maybe it's Texas AM. Maybe it's, uh, you know, 
LSU gets gets off to a great start, but uh, Ole Miss jumps up and, and grabs them there in, in October. I don't, you know, I, I I certainly think that that Ole Miss is going to ruin somebody's season. I just don't know they're going to be consistent enough to really challenge Alabama. Could everything click on you know one one week or or even you know Texas A and M? Could ever could everything click that week and they beat a team they're not supposed to? Yes, but then they. I, I have a hard time thinking they're going to – we talked about this, I think, in our review show, but uh, the, I have a, a very hard time thinking they're ready to compete week in and week out. But I think they'll jump up and, and grab somebody. Louisville, you know, they they lost a lot of, of talented players as well. I mean, Tutu Atwell was, what, a second-round pick? Yeah. And even though Javian Hawkins went undrafted, I think I've seen more people talking about him – you know, than any other maybe undrafted player thinking he's got a, an opportunity to, to uh, get on to the field the with the Robinson. Make yeah. the team. Sure, yeah, and, and maybe it's J.B. and Hawkins. Des Fitzpatrick was a, an underrated receiver, a guy who got drafted as well. So, you know, Louisville has has some some spots that, that need some attention. Their defense was, you know, better but not – Great. I mean, they were in the triple digits in 2018-2019. They were 73rd in defensive team performance last year. That's better, but that's not really what you want going up against Ole Miss, who could be one of the top offenses in the country. So our numbers are, you know, don't have a, a huge edge here. We line up pretty, pretty close uh, with that that seven points on the the official projected point spread. Ours is closer to six, but uh, you know, the the talent edge. Ole Miss just recruiting at that SEC level, top twenty-five type classes, much different than Louisville, who's you know got back into the top forty uh, this this past year after being out of it for a couple of years. So from a just raw talent standpoint, Ole Miss has an edge there. They're about a twelve-point favorite in our talent edge, uh, but our stats-only model actually thinks Louisville could win this game outright. So unfortunately, it kind of lines up similar to the North Carolina uh, LSU where we're just on the, the wrong side and, and two of the models that we really would prefer they line up. Uh, but I think me personally, I like Ole Miss in this game. I like Ole Miss this year. I do like Matt Corral. I mentioned I have some Heisman futures. He's actually the, the most invested Heisman future guy uh, in my current portfolio. However, I don't I don't think he'll win it. I just think that he could go out and, and put up some ridiculous numbers, some, you know, maybe we have an RG3 type season where a guy just puts up an incredible amount of number. you know, the, the stats are just eye popping and there's just not a dominant player on one of the best teams. That I think is the path to, to Corral getting there, but I just think it's a, a, a long shot. I just saw some value there, but uh, so he's not a, a, person I'm out there touting as a, a real Heisman hopeful, but I could see a path, I guess. But I think there's a lot to like about, about Ole Miss, and I have more questions, even though the Louisville defense is better than Ole Miss's. I have more questions just about Louisville overall, I think, than I do Ole Miss in this game. So I I would be tempted, uh, but I, our numbers just don't quite see enough of a, an advantage here. I'm, I'm certainly not going to to bet this one now I'll, I'll wait and see if there's a big shift one way or the other and there might be some value coming back on on louisville if this you know if if a lot of people see Ole miss is closer to a double digit favorite yeah we might actually come back in on, on louisville on this one 
Xavier, what do you think? Are, is this an easy Ole Miss, or do you think Louisville uh, stands a chance here? No, this is an easy Ole Miss for me. Uh, I, you know, I, I just you know I can't be confident in Louisville's defense just yet. And with this being what week one of the season, I think this is a, this is a, this is Lane Kiffin telling the rest of the country watch out. And I think he's going to come with all the horse, you know, all guns blazing, and, and the horses running. Uh, and I just don't see how Louisville can keep up. You know, where Nick is absolutely correct, you know, uh, about the fact that Louisville's defense will be better, you know, hopefully than they were last year. They don't have the horses to run with Ole Miss. Uh, and this is a game that I think could easily get out of hand uh, if Louisville's not able to, able to put points on the board uh, consistently on, on multiple drives. And they have been, you know, and without Tutu Iwell, without Javion Hawkins, can they do that? I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. And I do know, though, that Ole Miss is going to be able to put points on the board in bunches. They were able to do it against pretty much everybody last year. I think they put up the most points against Alabama as any team of all uh, out of uh, everybody that Alabama played last year. So I should say something as well. Uh, so I, I really like Ole Miss to cover this, and I would put the bets in. or I would put that bet in early. I would, you know, those those are one of those I would think I would guarantee to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, so there's a bunch of other games here that that you've listed that have lines. It's not just week one games, Nick, but uh, you've highlighted a couple here, uh, which I love. Texas, only a four-point road favorite against Arkansas is an interesting one, uh, and I don't even know if they should be favored by that much, uh, which is a, a good one. Oregon at Ohio State, who is a nine-point favorite. That's going to be a great game. Iowa State at Oklahoma. Oklahoma is an eight-point favorite to start that one. We already have Ohio State is an 11.5-point favorite against Michigan uh, in that rivalry game here. I mean, there's uh, all kinds of lines that you have here. Are there any that stick out to you that uh, maybe you would bet? So I was surprised that Texas was only a four-point favorite at Arkansas. And I think Arkansas, there was a lot to like about them. Last year, I understand both sides of, of you know potential people's thoughts on Texas, where you could be really excited about Steve Sarkeesian. That offense uh, looks like it could get really good really quickly. But I think Texas should be more than – I think they should be favored by, by closer to a touchdown. Our, our numbers agree, think that it's uh, – you know, seven and a half, basically, think our talent edge numbers actually see Texas as, as close to a 10-point favorite. Our stats-only model has them as an eight-and-a-half-point favorite. So that that is one that we absolutely would be interested in betting. And, and things can go wrong in the first game under a new head coach. Arkansas at home is, is uh, a fun team. I'm excited about Sam Pittman and what he can do there. But, yeah, I think, I think Texas – uh, that's that's one that caught my eye right away. Just my my eyes, and then looking at, at actually how our numbers uh, saw it. There's there's a decent edge there by you know three and a half four points in all three of our projection models. That's absolutely one I'd go after. I thought Ohio State would be maybe less than a touchdown favorite at, at, against Oregon. Uh, a lot of people think Oregon is the team to beat. In the Pac-12, our numbers don't necessarily think that, think that's kind of a three- or four-way tie. Uh, and, and we're lower on Ohio State than most people early. They will get better quickly once there's an established quarterback. They go out, throw for 300 yards, you know, week after week, whatever. Um, Ohio State is going to go from seventh right now probably to number 
three, I would say, within the first six weeks of the season, assuming all goes well. So I, I was a little bit surprised, though I see it maybe, you know, moving in that direction. We're a little lower on Oregon than I thought a lot of people were. We're, we're a little higher or excuse me, a little lower on Ohio State than most people, but I know that they will get better. So that one was a little bit surprising. I, I thought there might be an opportunity to be on Ohio State minus six, minus seven, something like that. So I'm interested to see if that number comes down. I'm not sure it will, but that that was high for me at first glance. And then I'm, I'm really going to be paying a lot of attention to Ohio, uh, Iowa State this year. And we've mentioned before, Oklahoma is a team that I think is absolutely a national championship caliber team. Iowa State doesn't have that raw talent profile we expect from playoff teams. But the way we do things different than a lot of people, where we wait by experience and by career production, Ohio, uh, excuse me, Iowa State has become a very talented, good team according to our projections. And then we see that a good bit closer than, than an eight point uh, projected point spread. And, and there's a very good chance that would be the first of two games between those two teams. Again, uh, like it was last year, Iowa state won the regular season game last year. You know, if, if you flip it, maybe they lose the regular season game win the, uh, the, the conference championship game, maybe Iowa state gets a, a shot at a playoff. That's, that's, you know, I, I know a lot has to go right to do that, but I'm very, very interested in uh, in Iowa State specifically next year. I expected that number to be a little bit closer, uh, even though we actually do have Oklahoma favored by about 10 in, in that game. I expected the, the uh, Vegas point spread to, to be, you know, six, something in that range. So those jumped out, but I do think that that Texas game is probably one I would bet. Uh, all right. I mean, uh, I, I, I'm not too interested in big time programs with their, their first year head coach. Uh, you know, what, what week is that game? Texas at Arkansas. Is that week one? It's, it's, uh, Arkansas second game. It's September 11th. So okay. technically week two. Yeah. Week two. Okay. So, uh, I'm on yeah. the Arkansas page. It's probably Texas' second game, too. Yeah, I, I, yeah, they usually have a UTEP or somebody uh, week one. So, um, but or or Louisiana, uh, that's gonna be a, that's gonna be a, mm-hmm. that's gonna be a tricky one. Mm-hmm. That, that'll <laughs> be a fun one for sure. So, uh, but uh, okay, so the second game, but I don't know, man. That's uh, there could be quarterback problems at Texas plus a new system. I, I don't think I'm messing with that one. Are any of these uh, standing out to you, Xavier? Is there anything you look at and you go, oh, I want to bet that right now uh, because the number's too good? Or uh, is anything sticking out to you like that? Um, you know, Ohio State at Indiana for me, I think is a game that I always think People, I think people are sipping the Kool-Aid off of last year's Indiana performance without thinking about the fact that I, this game is typically played pretty close in the first half with Ohio State normally pulling away. Uh, that's a game for me that watching both teams uh, early on would, would give me a good indication of what side to go on to. Right, Currently speaking, I'm leaning on the Ohio State side to cover. Uh, 
once again, to your point, Scott, Oklahoma at versus Texas is another one, you know, uh, to see what Texas has looked like up until that point. And if Oklahoma has really begun to live up to, you know, Nick's, t- uh, Nick's title, uh, <laughs> calling them one of the best teams in college football, if not the best team in college football. And so Nick has already team. put them in the national championship. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to speak for you, Nick, but that's right, right? Alabama's our number one team. But, <laughs> and Georgia's our number two team, which is higher than okay. most. But who's in mix? Oklahoma's not. Far behind, and you know, if Georgia ends up with two losses, yeah, Oklahoma could have that number two seed. Alabama, I could see, I could see at least one regular season loss for a young Alabama team. So, yeah, it, it might so, be, it might be Oklahoma's. You know, they might Nick have already put, Nick has already given uh, Spencer Rattler the Heisman and made him the first pick in the draft. I pretty think much that's more accurate. Than uh, saying that they uh, they're national champions already, but I'm sorry, Xavier, I cut you off. Go ahead. Oh no, you're absolutely fine. Uh, that you know that soliloquy was amazing. Um, but no, I, I you know the, for me, Oklahoma versus Texas, and then you know, do I do I genuinely think USC could blow out UCLA? Yes. Do I think UCLA will USC will actually do it, especially with them last year having the way better team and still almost losing that ball game? Yeah, I'm going to take USC to cover that game. I think USC can, you know, talent-wise, is far and away better than UCLA. I think last year they were a team that just so happy, just liked playing from behind, uh, and they showed that many times last year, having to come back in, in the fourth quarter or in the second half, per se. I think this year they, they, they right those wrongs and they're able to play a complete game against US, UCLA excuse me, and dominate them from, court, from, you know, from half to half. So uh, that's the last one I say. Uh, USC, you know, dominating UCLA, I would take more than that five and a half. That is currently up your there. your UCLA hate is uh, bordering on Nick's Kentucky hate. I mean, <laughs> oh, it's, no. it's gone I a think, little I bit think, too far here. I haven't I haven't seen any Kentucky lines. I they, I none jumped out <laughs> to me. I have a feeling we're going to be a a pro Kentucky projection. Team oh, look at that! I, I oh, think God. so. I think so. <laughs> Quarterback, I'm a little worried about. But uh, you know, I think I think there's a chance we're a pro. We're going to be a pro Kentucky podcast this year. So that, we'll, we'll that see. Is, look look, that look at that politician-like switch. But <laughs> hey, I just say what the numbers. I, I just say what the numbers say. Uh, <laughs> but the reason, and, and I know we went a little longer on this, I think, than probably expected. But uh, I mentioned that I do bet games because I like to keep score. We do, you know, our, our uh, official projections each week for our patrons if they're, you know, had that, that information is available if they want to use it. But then also, you know, we grade how we do each week and, and keep track and all that. But I, uh, I kind of want to, uh, you know, have you guys have a little bit of skin in the game as well. So we are going to do a new game this uh, this year. Right now, we're calling it the betting game. Maybe somebody has a better name. For it. <laughs> but if if you guys remember, you know, in high school and in, in economics class, uh, if you did the stock market game, where you get you know uh, ten thousand dollars to invest however you want, well, we're gonna we're gonna do the same thing. We're we're gonna give each of the three of us ten thousand a ten thousand dollar bankroll, and we are actually going to you know week to week. Write down how much we're betting. We're going to score them. Did we win? Did we lose? What you know? How much did we win? We lose. And yeah, whoever that's has, Javier, Nick's going to give us ten grand. I'm excited about that's this. Right. Thank that's you, right. Nick. 
I got, I got, a monopoly, uh, I got a monopoly board <laughs> in the other room. Send you guys. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll do our own things, I'm sure, with with, uh, with what we've got. But here to keep each other accountable, because I thought it was pretty interesting as we went through those games. And it happens sometime during the year as well, often, in fact, where, you know, I'll say, oh, I see it this way. And one of you guys or both of you guys say, I don't know. I think it's pretty obvious the other way. So we're, we're actually going to, to keep track of those things a little bit more this year. And, and you know, we'll see how everything winds up at, at the end of the year. And, and maybe we'll, you know, find something fun to, to put on the line for, for who wins, who loses. But head. that said... Uh, are there any of these games that you guys want to make your first, you know, uh, betting game, uh, uh, pick of the year? Resounding no from me. And it's, uh, (laughs) this goes back to my, uh, you know, fantasy football stuff I've said on many different podcasts. So I apologize if you guys have heard this before, but my preferred draft time would be the draft that finishes five minutes before kickoff of the very first game of the season. That's that's when my preferred draft time is. So I like to have all the information possible that I can uh, before I bet a game. I will bet games before the season starts or make a prop bet or something before the season starts, of course. Uh, but this is too far out for me to, to mess with any of these lines. But Xavier sounded pretty confident on some of those games. So... Uh, are you gonna throw any uh, throw any cash around there, Xavier? What do you think? You have to give you a specific number. You have to take like it. Has to be it ha- so. So during the no, no, year- no, I'm talking about how much cash. I'm sorry. Yes. Yes. Okay. You do. You do. So can I put five hundred dollars on the Alabama game? Ooh! Wow! All right. Five coming in hot. Five percent. Yeah, we can yeah, do that. Yeah, we'll yeah. Make yeah, that give, give, give me, give me, give me that. I'm not done yet. <laughs> <laughs> We've created a monster already. Yes, you have. <laughs> okay, you gave me fictitious right, so money to play around Nick's with. Getting his uh, his notebook out because he's going to actually write these down by hand, like it's nineteen eighty five. Everything's old school. Oh yeah, I'll put it. I'll, we'll put it in the in the sheet. Nick okay. is the Tony Larusa of this podcast. Nah, he's not, I, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> he just. I was thinking old school stuff, and that's you know, uh, not, not comparing your personalities at all. Uh, you no no chance you have as many DUIs as him. Uh, so, uh, Xavier, here, uh, more bets. You have 500 on Bama. Yes, I'm gonna put $200 on Ole Miss covering over Louisville. Okay, okay, all right. So, uh, for and we're gonna use uh, we're gonna use DraftKings official lines for these. Normally during the season, we often refer to the, the Vegas Insider consensus line. That's what we grade our, our projections against each week. But we'll probably do uh, DraftKings then as well, just because I, I can do it in, in New Hampshire. So 500 on Alabama to win 954.54 for you. And how much on, uh, how much on Ole Miss? 200. 200. Okay. Yes. So, so at, uh, Alabama minus 16 and a half. That's at, at minus 110. So, those were the odds there. Ole Miss is actually minus 120. So, you would uh, 200 to win 366.66. All right. And we've got our first two bets there. I, I like the, the Texas game. So, Texas minus four at, uh, at, at 110. 
I I will do. Yeah, I'll do. I'll do two hundred. I'll do two hundred on on that. So uh, we will do Texas minus four against Arkansas. Sorry, this is great. All right, video. yeah. So we got we got for uh, two hundred to, to three eighty one eighty one for me. Uh, the last thing before we get into the stats um, uh, is transfers. We're going to talk about some transfers here. Uh, you know, you already mentioned Kane Madden, Nick, uh, Troy, cornerback uh, Terrence Dunlap uh, has also transferred. We've had a couple other ones here as well. I mean, the transfer portal is just rocking and rolling right now. It's every day. There's guys moving in and out. So is there anyone that uh, in particular that caught your eye, Nick? Yeah, I think we need to watch Kane Madden. Uh, he's one of the best offensive linemen in, in really any group of five conference. Uh, was on a couple of All-American lists and, and you know, really highly graded PFF. So uh, he's, he's certainly someone to watch, maybe a, a potential future pro. You expect he's probably going to end up at a, a power five program, big time program. Uh, Buffalo had, we mentioned last week, had several guys enter the transfer portal and, and we have had uh, one, you know, relatively high profile, uh, have a, a transfer decision. Uh, one of their starting offensive linemen, uh, Jacob Gall, who played left guard and, you know, uh, again, super highly uh, graded from PFF, put up a lot of production points in, in our calculations. He's an 88 rated player. Uh, he's moved on to uh, Baylor where he might, it sounds like, have a chance to start at center, if not uh, if not guard. So, yeah, that's, that's you know, a couple of, of impactful former power five or uh, group of five offensive linemen who could, you know, play a pretty big role for teams in need of, of uh, help at that position. We talked last week about interior defensive linemen being uh, really – you know, part of the the uh, hottest group, and Tulane had a guy, Jeffrey Johnson, enter the transfer portal. We actually did an about face, and then Tulane added a 100 rated player from Memphis in uh, Joseph Dorcius. So Tulane went from having a big, big problem maybe on the interior defensive line to now having probably, arguably, the the top duo in the American there in, in the matter of what 48 hours after we recorded last week. So that's interesting. There are a couple of really a, a, a handful of FCS transfers that caught my eye. Uh, Trey Barry was an All-American caliber tight end at Jacksonville State. He has committed to Boston College, who lost Hunter Long. So that might be, you know, he's a 6'7 guy, was productive uh, at, at tight end at the FCS level. Have to think that he's somebody who, you know, will be a, a weapon that they go to next year. Uh, a, a transfer from Presbyterian has committed to Northwestern, Trent Carrington. Uh, he's a guy that that uh, is an 82-rated player, according to our numbers, pretty decent for an FCS transfer. And one interesting name on that note uh, earlier today I saw, uh, running back Jawan Hamilton, who's well-traveled, started at UCF, went to James Madison. If you watch the FCS playoffs this year, he mm -hmm. was the guy who broke off a 99-yarder against VMI. 
Uh, he's headed to Eastern Michigan, who, you know, not a team that's super high profile or top of everybody's, uh, you know, mind, but they need a little help at running back. They were a very explosive offense last year. So they're, they're going to be an interesting team to watch. And he's obviously got a little bit of a home run hitter, uh, you know, aspect to him. So could, could potentially end up starting there. And then in, you know, the secondary Auburn's had a couple of guys in and out. They picked up a, a pretty big uh, commitment from Donovan Kaufman from uh, Vanderbilt played only a hundred snaps last year, but started two games uh, at Vanderbilt was one of their higher rated recruits in that class. He ends up following Derek Mason to Auburn. So I think as a, a future, you know, maybe to start might not break into the starting lineup in, in 2021, but I think as an opportunity to be a good player for them down the line. So there's, there's definitely some movement and, and some, you know, fairly big names. Troy had a corner. Uh, Troy was one of the most experienced defenses in the country coming back. It looked like, but I have lost a couple of, uh, potential starters in the secondary, Terrence Dunlap. I think just my gut tells me, you know, probably moving up in competition, maybe into the SEC. So there's certainly some some interesting moves here and there. Stephen Carr, you know, running back at, at mm-hmm. USC's to to Indiana. Indiana's been more active than usual. So absolutely, a lot of a lot of stuff going on for sure. Javier, any of these moves interesting to you? Yeah, uh, I don't want to butcher his name, but Jaquarius Spivey going from Mississippi State to Arizona State, giving Jane Daniels another big target. Uh, this was a guy who was a you know a highly rated kid coming out of high school, six five, two fifty. You know, giving him an opportunity. You know, he's he's an LA kid, so he's going back to the West Coast, giving him giving like I said, Jaden Daniels another big target to throw to after losing. You know, guy like the likes of Frank Darby to the draft this year is is big for them. You know, he already hit on Stephen Carr. Um, <clears throat> There was a Georgia player who left. Oh, Major Burns, Major Burns. Who leaves Georgia and goes to LSU. Definitely, we talked about it all. You know, we've talked about it all offseason how we feel like LSU secondary has to get better next year for them to be, you know, a much better team than they were, and that's a definite upgrade for them. And obviously, we talked about Georgia's youth. Well, he, you know, he, you know, he played six six games, seventy eight snaps, so they lose even the slightest amount uh, of playing time. They lose some of that as well. So. Definitely some big names. Tennessee continues to hit the transfer portal hard, uh, you know, picking up not one but two in Kamal Hayden or Hayden, excuse me, and, and ooh, William Mohan from Michigan, who I think, who in my opinion, is probably the bigger of the two moves because of the amount of years of eligibility he has. Uh, you know, having all four years of eligibility, this is somebody who could give them, you know, can all, not only just grow into the system under hypo, but we'll give them an opportunity. You know, he's, he's, he looks like he's more of a hypo build guy at six foot a buck 90 at the linebacker position. So I think he's more, you know, more speed than power. Uh, so he fits under more of a Josh hypo kind of build. Uh, so Tennessee continues to transfer portal, trying to make up for all of which they lost. Uh, so the more transfers they get in, the better. All right. Well, let's go and talk about some stats and the one, for this week, Nick, is going to be points per drive. So uh, an interesting stat, and I will uh, like do, do like Baker Mayfield and hand the ball right to you and sit back and watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, we went maybe a little longer last week than we will uh, in most. And, and points per drive is 
fairly self-explanatory. Uh, if you missed our discussion last week, it is one of the five important stats that we list in our FBS team profiles up at the top in that uh, you know capsule of, of information. We do incorporate these numbers not only into our team performance ratings and rankings where we give each team a grade uh, based on how well they play, you know, according to on-field performance statistics on, on the field. We think it's important. It, it, it uh, helps to, you know, put into context uh, how, uh, you know, whether a team is, is actually uh, <laughs> stumbling over my words here. I said I wasn't going to go long trying, to, <laughs> trying to, to tighten it up a little, but Anyway, kind of beyond the box score type things, advanced stats that might give a little better uh, context to just the, a final score compared to how well a, a team plays or not. But points per drive, fairly self-explanatory. How efficient is an offense? It's uh, what, one of our favorite ways to measure that. It's simply how often does a team score when it touches the football? Um it is important. We, we always try to get non-garbage time stats when we can. Uh, and when you're looking at, at per drive, that's even more important because it's a smaller sample size. There are only about 13 drives per each team on average. You have to be very careful to throw out the drives, not only just garbage time, like when the game's decided. If, if one team's up by you know 28 points in the fourth quarter, that's not as important anymore to, to – determining whether or not that team was actually playing super well because maybe starters are out, maybe one team's heart's not in it, you know, whatever. Uh, but also, you know, you've got at the end of either half, a team kneels down, that's a wasted possession, so you need to filter those out as well. So it's it's important to, to look a little closer. Sometimes we mentioned last week we did a raw uh, 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 yards per play, but we also did the – um, non-garbage possessions and FBS versus FBS games that Brian Fromo, uh publishes on his website. He does the same for points per drive. Those are the ones we we really rely on. Let people smarter than me, you know, do do that work, and then we try to to learn from from uh, what they put out there. And uh, Frumeau does, you know, in, it includes safeties of an offense gives up a safety. It, it is a negative two points. If they score a touchdown, they do count the extra point, do count a two-point conversion. Uh, so it's not just the six points for a touchdown. Uh, but but the way his numbers shook out at the end of the year, which which we, uh, again, incorporate into our team performance ratings and, and our projections, BYU on net uh, scored 2.89 points per drive. So they, they scored 4.14 points per drive. They allowed 1.25 points per drive on net, which is, is the most telling. Uh, they led the country almost three points per drive outscored their opponents. Alabama was number two, followed by Buffalo, both BYU and Buffalo, of course, played, uh, weaker schedules, Alabama, played one of the toughest schedules we've seen. So that's absolutely incredible. Uh, Clemson, Ohio State, Coastal Carolina, Oklahoma, Washington, Cincinnati, and Arizona State round out the top 10 in net points per drive. Uh, at the bottom end, UMass was the worst. They were outscored on average by more than three and a half points per drive. Bowling Green, Akron, Kansas, ULM, Arizona, Vanderbilt, Utah State, UNLV, and USF round out the bottom 10. So if you look at the top 10 and the, and the bottom 10, 
a lot of really good teams in the top 10. A couple of them played some weak schedules, but were still division champs, conference champ type type teams. And then the worst teams in college football are down at the very, very bottom. So uh, we do, you know, it does have some importance to look at just an offense. Alabama, BYU, and Kent State all average more than four points per drive. Really, you know, uh, and I saw, you know, some some studies in NFL uh, looking at points per drive. Basically, anything three or more is really good. Uh, we talked about uh, putting this on a goal board. We're going to build a goal board with these stats this year. If you get 3.3 uh, in, in the college game, that's basically top 10 in the country on offense. So Clemson was there. Washington was there, which was a little bit of a surprise. But then, you know, the other really explosive offenses, Florida, North Carolina, you know, again, Kent State, Buffalo, those those are some of the better, more explosive teams in college football. Defensively, you know, keeping teams from, from putting up points, uh, a little bit of a different mix. Marshall was number one, tied with Northwestern at, at 1.17 points per drive allowed. Iowa, consistently one of the top five defenses uh, in, in this stat and in the way we look at things. Uh, BYU, again, very good. Cincinnati, one of the best in college football, Wisconsin, always, uh, you know, incredible. San Diego State, very consistent. Last year, FAU was uh, one of the stingier defenses in college football. A little bit of a surprise in that top 10. Army was ninth, Clemson was 10th. So, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, all of those teams in the top 10 allowed fewer than 1.5 points per drive. The top 10 offenses were 3.5. Three five points per drive. The top ten on the net uh, was about one point, basically one and, and a third uh, points per drive. So those are going to be what we put on the goal board. That's what uh, we're going to shoot for as a top ten team overall, offensively or, or defensively. And you know, on the flip side, if you are allowing, you know, three three point three points per uh, drive. You're, you're doing really, really poorly. So that's the teams like Bowling Green, UMass, Akron, ULM. If you're a CFF player, those are who you're going to be looking to target, you know, for who am I going to start this week? Oh, are they playing UMass? Yeah. So that, you know, that 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 might be some valuable information to you. But basically one thing that, that I the, – the final thing here, uh, field goals. I, I don't know if I've said on the show before, but I've had a, a little bit of a theory, and I don't think it's mine. I think I probably heard it somewhere else. But field goals are failures, right? So you didn't get in the end zone. You failed in some way, unless it's at the end of a game or the end of a half, and there's just not enough time to go for the end zone. A missed field goal is, in my opinion, a turnover. So, you know, I, I did think it was interesting that the goal that we set offensively you know, to, to be a top 10 or, or even really, you know, top 20, top 15, you need to average more than a field goal per possession. So if you are settling for a field goal, that's in a lot of ways a failed drive. So, you know, if you're looking on average, you need to be better than a field goal each drive. So that's that's a number that I hadn't paid as much, you know, close attention to before, just the offensive points per per drive. But you know, I, I thought that that, that kind of I think that'll stick with me a little bit and, and maybe, you know, some other folks out there as well. So statistically, you need to be, you know, to, to meet our offensive goals, scoring more than a field goal each time you've got the ball. 
All right. Well, that is going to wrap it up for us this week. Remember, you can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports for myself, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. We will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.